Two years ago, two years ago, I conducted an experiment on my children, as fathers are wont to do. It involved donuts and a Saturday morning. Early in the morning, I went out to Danville, to Burke's Bakery. Wait a minute. Mm. Okay. I went to Burke's Bakery and got a huge box full of donuts and brought it back. We had a family event that we were having to go to, so uh, I go upstairs. My way of waking up the kids is I flick their lights on and off until I hear, Dad, stop it! Dad! And then eventually, um, if that doesn't work, I do the fire alarm. Um, there's a button I can push, and it activates all the fire alarms all throughout the house. And I do it like a Star Trek thing. <laughs> and so uh, that got them out, and they were kind of cheerfully coming down the stairs to the counter. But Dad had surprised them with donuts, so they plunked down, one, two, three, Maddie, uh, John, and Jill, and obviously not in birth order. And so I plunked down in front of Madeline a plate with two uh, huge donuts with icing and sprinkles. And then I take out a plate, and I put it in front of John, and it's half of a glazed donut. And then I take out a plate, and I put it in front of Jill, and it's half of a glazed donut. And it wasn't even five seconds before this happened. Hey, hey, how's come she's got... So, now let me ask you a question. You weren't there, but you know the answer. Who complained? And, John, who did not complain? <laughs> In life, teenagers, there is something called the fairness clause. The fairness clause gets activated when you or I get less than someone else. When you and I do not get, I mean, because how many people do you meet that do this? How's come I've got 10 and everybody else has five? That's not fair, right? I mean, who does that? So the fairness clause is invoked when we get less than what we think we deserve. It's why it's Occupy Wall Street, not Occupy Main Street. Right? You don't see a bunch of billionaires with signs outside of Capitol Hill going, it's absolutely criminal that I'm paid 486 times what my average worker is paid. You need to do something about this, Congress. It's not fair. Do you see billionaires doing that and CEOs doing that? No. Do you see the Wall Street banks protesting? No. Who's protesting? The people who have less. All right? In families... In families, this works, and in families, the fair often means the same, or fair means equal in families. So if you're a parent or you're a kid, that's everybody, this is how it works, okay? So if, if you grew up in your family and you were the oldest, and when you became a teenager, dad said, you may not borrow my car until you're 18. And when you were in high school, your curfew was 930 Thank you very much. And there were a few trips where you got to, you know, got invited, and they were really awesome things, but your dad had a rule. No overnights, period. My house, my rules. Well, you go off to college, and your younger brother or sister gets their license, and you're talking to them at age 16, and what are they driving around? <sighs> Tad's car. And you're home on Thanksgiving break, and it's 9.35, and you're excited because your younger brother's sister's not in. By 9.45, you can't take it anymore, and so you bring it up to dad. Hey, hey, 
So what's the punishment going to be? And he looks at you confused, and he says, what do you mean what punishment? Your curfew's 11. <laughs> what? That's not fair! That's not fair! Okay, so today, today, I want you to know something. When it comes to God, you do not want him to be fair. You want him to show grace. When it comes to God, you want him to show grace. You don't want him to be fair, even if it means someone else is getting off scot-free. And to, to kind of flesh this out, to let you get a picture of how God really rolls and how shocking it really is, we're going to look at a story Jesus told in the Gospel of Matthew. It's a famous story, Matthew chapter 20. It's the, it's the parable of the vineyard workers. That's what it's called, parable of the vineyard workers. All right, Matthew chapter 20, and we're just going to get right into it. So this is a story that Jesus tells to explain how God, what God is like, how God is like. Okay, so uh, this is the first, first few verses. For, for the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon, and again at three, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. All right? So at the very beginning of this, all the way back in, in verse 1, the first word gives us a clue to what's going on. For. Preposition. For. That for is linking this story that Jesus is telling to what is taking place before it. Now, what's taking place before it is this rich guy had come up to Jesus and done the whole, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus sizes him up and goes, hey, go sell everything you have and give the money to the poor. What? Well, he can't do that, so he walks away. The disciples, meanwhile, are thinking, awesome. Why? Because they left everything to follow Jesus. And so they have this kind of conversation, you know, hey, master, we left everything. I mean, so God kind of God kind of owes us, right? For the kingdom of heaven is like and so he launches into this story. The kingdom of heaven is like, okay? And so right off the bat, you know that Jesus is telling you something about how God's activity in the world. Um, I love Katie Truett. The way Katie Truett uh, will sometimes do these strange things and then she'll say, "Pastor Max, that's just how I roll." What she means is, that's who I am, that's what I do, get used to it, that's how I roll. So, in the Bible, when you see the kingdom of heaven is like, that's a, this is how God rolls statement or story, right? So you can write that in your Bibles, this is how God rolls, right? Right in there, the kingdom of heaven is like, that's what that phrase means, all right? So Jesus is giving us a hint. So how does God roll exactly? Well, he's like, it's like a landowner who goes out and hires day laborers. If you're from Kentucky, you know how this works. It used to be that we grew lots of tobacco. And it's not like you can have a farm machine that goes, no, no, you have to house tobacco by hand. You have to plant it by hand. You need lots of hands, lots of people to do the work, planting and harvesting tobacco. 
And so that was the case 2,000 years ago. Um, a landowner in a vineyard went out, and he would go out to town. There would be a spot, a corner, let's say, where the day laborers would hang out. And day laborers were people who didn't have land on their own. They were landless. So they were, in this case, they were Jews who had lost their real estate. Maybe they had had a bad crop. Maybe they had borrowed a bunch of money, and the bank basically foreclosed. But they, they didn't have property. And so these are guys out there trying to earn a denarius, which is what they would have been paid for a day's work, which would have been enough to buy food for their family for that day. So they were working literally for that day's food. That's a day laborer. And so the landowner goes out. And the, the work day back then was 6 in the morning till 6 at night. Now you nurses are like, that's right, baby. 12 hours, kaboom. Don't be complaining about your six and a half and how it wore you out. You know, I know, I got your back, nurses. But back then, in the olden days, right, 12-hour workday, six in the morning till six at night, and that's how it worked. And so there's a couple of things that if you're observant about this story, they can jump out at you. And the first thing is, has to do with the landowner. The landowner didn't show up at 9 o'clock going, oh, my goodness, you know, I don't have enough people working today. I miscalculated. I need to hire more. Anybody who does tobacco in Kentucky, anybody I've ever met, they know exactly that day. I need 15 guys. I need five guys. I only need three guys today. They know in the morning what they need. Unless there's dramatic weather change, right? They know in the morning. So this landowner knows what he's going to need for that day's work. And the fact that he goes back and he goes back again and he goes back a third time, tells us that it's not about what he needs, it's about what the guys on the corner need. Because if they don't work, they don't eat. So this is an act of generosity on his part. He's just helping some folks out, giving them something to do so they can earn a little money. The second thing has to do with the guys hanging around. You wouldn't know this because you didn't have to suffer through Greek with Dr. Hawthorne at Wheaton College, but there's a Greek word in there called... Uh, what is it? Argos. Argos. Um, which means no work to do. There was no work to do. In other words, it wasn't the case that these guys had been drinking the night before and were passed out and, and then looked at their clock, not that they had them, and went, oh crap, it's 11 o'clock, I need to get to the corner. You know, it's not like they were late or lazy, it's that they weren't picked. They've been there since, you know, with all the rest of them, first thing in the morning. They just were passed over. So there's nothing lazy about these guys that are standing on the corner. Well, Jesus continues this story, and that's verse 8 and following. This is what he says. That evening he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage, a denarius. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive what? More. When the, uh, when the owner received their pay, when, when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. They probably didn't say it that way. I'm whining. I have a tendency to, you know, pastors are just whiny people, okay? They were probably a little bit more firm in their conviction and in the fairness of it all, okay? So, so here's how the story unfolds right? So right off the bat, you know this thing isn't going to play out the way anybody expects. 
because the people who are hired last get paid first. And when they're paid, they're given a full day's wage. And let's face it, if you and I were among the 6 a.m. or 9 a.m. workers, I would assume the same thing. Awesome. They're getting a denarius, which means kabooya. We are all getting some buco money today. I'm working for this guy every day. This is awesome. That's not what plays out. That's not what plays out at all. And so what happens? Fairness clause, activate fairness clause, activate fairness clause. They pull the fairness clause lever. And that's not fair. Look at all the stuff they got. Because the people who pull the fairness clause think they're getting less than what they deserve. All right? So then Jesus continues on, and he, he tells, finishes, this is how the story finishes out, verses 13 and following. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? For those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Friend, is there any reason why you're so mad at me for being generous? Boom, there's a question right there. I went out at 12 o'clock, this is the landowner, I went out at 12 o'clock, I went out at 3 o'clock, I went out at 5 o'clock, because these guys didn't have work. And you know what? They need to eat too. Why are you so hacked off that I'm being generous with them? The word in verse 15 is evil eye. It's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew uh, 6 when he's talking about treasure. Don't store up for yourself treasure on earth. Store up treasure in heaven. You don't want to have an evil eye. You want to have a good eye. And here the same word is used. Don't have an evil eye. Don't be greedy. Don't be jealous of what I'm doing for other people. And so, and then it closes up in verse 16 with the great reversal. It's not going to play out the way you think it is. This parable is a parable about grace. Now, because it's a story that Jesus tells, the landowner isn't just the average landowner. The landowner in this story is who? God. The landowner is God. God is being generous with a group of people who don't deserve it and who haven't earned it. And there's another group of people who are upset that those people are, in a sense, getting off the hook. And that's the story that Jesus tells in the face of his disciples. Now, God owes us, doesn't he? Not like that rich dude that came around. So, what's the, 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 the early workers responded the wrong way. They were jealous. They were angry. The right response would have been gratitude. Hey, I got to work today because nobody had a gun to the landowner's head. Hey, you have to hire these guys on the corner. I mean, it very well could have been them standing at 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock. Just so happens they got picked. But they're jealous because other people got picked later. So let me ask, in light of what Jesus has to say about fairness, and parents, I give you permission right here. The next time one of your kids, one of your teenagers goes, that's not fair, you look them square in the eye and you say, I know, and God's not fair. Let me show you where it shows it in the Bible. Boom. Now you have chapter and verse. I fully empower you in your parenting. Let me know how that works, okay? <laughs> first question. First question I want to pose this morning. Do you believe 
do you believe that God owes you? I mean, maybe you've had some bad things happen a long time ago, and, but do you feel that God owes you? Maybe because of what you suffered, maybe because of what you've done for him or his kingdom. Do you feel like God owes you? Do you get upset at people when they get right with God and act as if everything's okay? I have this friend, and when she was 10 years old, her dad had an affair and totally wrecked her parents' marriage. They got divorced. Dad moved away, and it was a big, big moment in her life. 20 years later, dad comes to Jesus, or starts going to church, and he starts acting as though everything is okay. And this really upset my friend. Like, I remember having conversations with her, and she's saying things to me like, I cannot believe he thinks that this is okay based on what he did to mom, based on what he did to us. I need to see some more repentance. I need to, and you're hearing me, and you're like, she needs to forgive her dad. I know. But she's upset that he's experienced God's grace because in her mind, he needs to get clobbered early workers. There it is. Here's another question. Do you grumble at God's uneven compensation? See, in this parable, the landowner is just shockingly generous. As a follower of Jesus, when was the last time you surprised someone or shocked someone with your generosity? Okay, so those are some hard questions, but the good news is how God rolls. God is gracious. And nowhere is this more seen than in another gospel in Luke. In Luke, Jesus, at the end of Luke, Jesus is nailed on a cross and he's dying on a hill in between two criminals who've been convicted of crimes and they're going to die a horrible death along with Jesus on this hill. And there's a banter back and forth between the two criminals, remember? And the one criminal has an aha moment and goes, this guy, this Jesus guy, hasn't done anything. He's innocent. We deserve to be here. He doesn't. And then he asks for mercy from Jesus. Now, the thing about the criminal on the cross is that he's got nothing. He's got no leveraging room. It's not like he can say, save me today, Jesus, and for the rest of my life, I'll serve you. That's like a couple of hours at best. What, you know? It says, save me, Jesus, and I'll tithe for the next 10 years. No, it's n- I mean, there's nothing. He has nothing to offer God. Nothing. What does Jesus say to the criminal? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. In a word, grace. In a word, grace. Some people would cry, well, that's not fair. But see, here's the deal. When it comes to God, I'm telling you, you and I want God to be full of grace. You and I do not want God to be fair. There's a movie out called Les Miserables. Maybe you've heard of it. Susan Boyle made the song famous a few years ago. I dreamed a dream, right? You can hear Anne Hathaway do a better job in Les Miserables. The story of Les Miserables is really a story of redemption. It's a story of grace. Jean Valjean is convicted and sent to prison for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. In prison, he becomes bitter and angry. He's angry at God. He's angry at the system. He's angry because the punishment doesn't fit the crime. The whole thing is wrong in his eyes. The whole thing. He's released. 
He's really struggling with life. He's struggling with the system, the unfairness. He ends up looking for lodging one night at the bishop's house. And the bishop is gracious, hospitable. And the bishop goes off to bed. And John, thinking to himself, you know what, I do? You know what I'll do? You know, this, there needs to be some justice in, in this world. So he goes through and he packs up the bishop's silver and disappears into the night. Unfortunately for Jean, he's caught. He's caught. And they bring him to the bishop's door. And the bishop opens the door. Sorry to wake you up. The bishop opens the door. The bishop opens the door, immediately sizes up the situation. And the first thing out of the bishop's mouth is this. Oh, Jean, I didn't expect to see you back so soon. You didn't take the candlesticks I gave you also. The officers, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, your eminence, what did you say? Yes, are you telling me that you gave this man the silver? Yes, I did. And he pulls Jean aside later and he says, you have been shown grace. Let it wreck you and wreck everything else in your life. And Jean becomes a different person. But what happens at the door at the bishop's house? Grace. What does he deserve? To go back to prison. What did he get? A break, a second chance, forgiveness. He got grace. Contrast that with the church in Lexington last summer. Last summer was a hard time. If you were a church in greater Lexington, it was hard. You want to know why it was hard? There were copper thieves on the prowl, lurking in the night, trying to ruin your HVAC, and take all your copper. What was it, seven, eight different churches that were hit with the copper thieves last summer? One of them, one church in particular, I'm not going to tell you the name, one church got really hacked off at this. I mean, they were really bothered by the fact that somebody stole their copper. And I guess it happened on a Saturday night, so Sunday, you know, there wasn't any air conditioning. I get that. I'd be a little cranky, too. It's August, you know, you're hot and sticky, and you're in a suit and the whole nine yards. But the next week, they had a sign. They changed their church sign, and this is what their sign read. You can find this on Google, all right? If you Google funny church signs, all right? Keep the copper. You're going to need AC where you're going. <laughs> now, fortunately, the name of their church is not something like Grace Baptist Church, because that'd be like the ultimate irony, wouldn't it? <laughs> But there you have it. You can either have grace or you can have fairness. If I get to vote, I am voting for grace every single time because grace is so much better than fair. And that's how God deals with you. He deals with you in grace, not in fairness.